Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Today we continue with the second part of Psalm 106. Just to recap, Psalm 106 was about the psalmist recounting God's grace and God's mercy well, from the time when um, the people were at the beginning in Egypt and uh, as slaves in Egypt and how God brought them out to the promised land and how the people continue to sin and to sin. One of the remarkable features about Psalm 109, 106 was that a psalmist openly admits that they, he and all his people are sinners. And then he recounts the sin um, that the people went through and how God in his mercy continued to help them even when the people lacked faith, even when the people did not believe in God after seeing all his miracles, when the people chose to take things into their hands, when they chose to worship an idol instead of God Almighty who had done so much for them, God continued to have mercy on them. Today we continue in this vein and we look at some of the circumstances when God continued to have mercy on his people. This psalm is very important because it reminds us that though God is a holy God, His mercy and His compassion towards His people knows no bounds. We often talk about God having um, a love, a love that never ends, an unconditional love. And in this psalm, we begin to see the extent of how mankind, how God's chosen people had chosen instead to provoke Him to do most foolish, most wicked, most awful things. And yet, how God's heart is so soft towards his people. It's important to us because as we think about us as Christians, how do we conduct ourselves before non-Christians? How do we conduct ourselves towards each other? It is important for us to recognize the holiness of God and yet the grace of God. To see that even the most terrible Con, uh, almost horrible sins, God will forgive when a person turns away from that sin. But God does not also hold his hand from intervening, from disciplining, from punishing those who sin. And yet, even as the person turns to God in, in repentance, God comes back and is merciful to them. We need to understand this deeply because we need to know that we have very holy God who has very high standards. High standards not to our conduct alone, but high standard as to how we conduct ourselves towards others. We see then that God's moral code is not often about do this, do that, but it's how do you relate to a brother. It is the people that we hurt who are important to God. When we hurt people who are important to God, which is everyone, then God's wrath goes against us. But the moment we turn in repentance, God also turns his face back to us. And so let's look at um, Psalm 106. We start from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Let us pray. Father, allow us to reflect deeply on your word, to know your nature, to know the kind of God you are, and how you are the father to the fatherless, the helper to the helpless the God who forgives when we turn away from our sin. Help us, Lord, to know you deeply. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
verse 24 of Psalm 106. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness, would make the offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the bale of pure and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds and a plague broke out against them. Then Phenahas stood up and intervened and the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah and went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. But they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them in the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. The enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under his, their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes, and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon the distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This second portion of Psalm 106 tells us very much about the influence of our neighbours, the influence of the people around us, and this response of godly men. Two men were uh, highlighted, Phinehas, the priest, the high priest, uh, who was the grandson of Aaron, and Moses. Both were people who loved God. But at one point, Phinehas was um, exalted by God, was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation, that's in verse 31. Moses, on the other hand, was a man after God's heart. He was a man so timid and so meek, and yet made a leader by God. But at this point, as it was mentioned in verse 20, 32 and 33, Moses made a very grievous mistake. And for that, it hurt God badly. God was provoked. Let's look at what these two mended circumstances of their story. First of all, it says in verse 28 that the people yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds and a plague broke out among them. The people were being influenced very much by the inhabitants of the land. Not only were they influenced, they were intermarrying Marrying people who had very different values, marrying people who had worshipped other gods, gods that were so bizarre 
Um, they ate sacrifices offered to the dead, they prayed to the dead, and they did things that turned against away from God. Let's remember that God, Yahweh, is not just a jealous God. He's jealous because he wants to protect his people. As long as this people trusted him, as long as they believed in him, he would be able to lead them from place to place, from glory to glory. He would bless his people. But when the people stopped thinking of him, stopped worshipping him, then he would not be the one to help them. How do you help a people who refuse to turn to you? Instead, the people turn to idols, turn to um, the dead, uh, to demonic worship, thinking that these things would help them. I was, I have ministered to people who are very much into demonic worship, um, worshipping, praying with uh, fetuses, dead fetuses, and the effect of this is that the hope is that they will manipulate the gods, manipulate power for their own purposes. But it always leads to destruction for themselves. It turns them um, into people who are dependent on demonic forces rather than the God who loves them, God who gave his son for them. And that's the difference. You see, so the people began to intermarry and they were having debauchery, they were uh, having a wild time together and learning all the customs of the neighbours there. One day, Phinehas and his youth saw this and knew that there was going to be great destruction among the people. In fact, it says that a plague broke out among them. When people live in this way, demons do what demons do. They cannot bless. They can give you certain things in exchange for other things. At the end of the day, what the net result is plague, is sickness, is destruction. It's never wealth. It's never prosperity in the good sense of a, a blessed life. You could ask for all the wealth in the world and you might get all the wealth in the world, but you suffer in many ways. You suffer torment. And so what was happening is that the people began to borrow the customs and the religions of the neighbours. And therefore they worshipped demons and they, um, they, they turned away from God and the plague broke out against them. The people refused to turn to, back to God. And what Phinehas did was that he threw a spear at an Israelite, at, at a Hebrew and his, um, and his uh, pagan mate, killing both of them. Such an example then shocked the whole nation and they turned away from their sin and turned back to God. And God then stopped the plague. What is commendable about Phinehas was that first he was jealous for God, but second he was also jealous for the people. He knew that the only way he could stop the plague from destroying all the people was to stop it firmly. What he did then was to kill a Hebrew who was having, um, having sex uh, with a pagan woman. Now these days we do not do such drastic things. And yet, as Christians, as people of God, we need first of all to love our God and to love the people we rebuke. It is never the sense of pride that I stand up for God, spewing hate against our colleagues, our family, our neighbours. It must come from love. 
But there will be times when out of love for our family, we may want to speak up. We may want to stand firm in our faith. We need to tell the people about God and about the ways of God. Phinehas did such a drastic thing so that he could save the Hebrews from destruction. And God said, this man, this man stood up for me and for his people. And for that, he will be remembered forever. Now then it came to Moses. Well, it was Moses first before Phinehas. But Moses was a different example. Moses was leading his people, the people of Israel, the Hebrews, um, towards the end of the journey. And once again, they couldn't find water. And the people grumbled greatly. You know, it's very common um, for sheep to bite the shepherd, as we say. The people were unhappy with Moses and they said, you led us all these years, all this journey just to let us die of thirst. Instead of looking to Moses and looking to God and saying, you have brought us so far, surely you will bring us to safety. They said instead, you brought us so far just to kill us. And this doubt angered Moses greatly. In a sense, it was anger against God. In a sense, it was also an anger against Moses. And God gave Moses a solution. He said, just speak to the rock and the rock will pour forth sweet water. But Moses was still seething with anger. Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. And then he called the people, rebellious people, and how he had suffered, how he had brought them up out of Egypt and done all this only to face this ungrateful crowd. In a sense, Moses was right. And yet, he sinned in several ways. First, he disobeyed God. God wanted to show grace to his people, even with all their ingratitude. God wanted to pour out sweet water if they would speak to the rock. Moses would speak to the rock. Instead, Moses, in his anger, struck the rock. Now, that was in disobedience of God. It was also a response in anger that God did not want. God wanted to show grace to the people. He did not want a show of temper against the people. But secondly, Moses talked about how he suffered and how he was the one who gave them food and gave them water and supplied their needs. He failed to point to God. Now, you know, when we think about this, it happens so much to us as church leaders, as Christian leaders, as pastors. And so often we feel unappreciated. We did great work. We try very hard to serve and often what we get are criticisms. But it's important for us as Christian leaders to remember that we are jealous for God's honour, not for our own. That if God chooses to show grace to people, even when they're ungrateful, even when they have doubts, even when they mock God and mock us, we need to reflect the nature of God and speak graciously, speak peace, when we know that this is what God wants of us. It's a very dangerous line because sometimes we get so full of zeal that we take things into our own hands, we save things, we fight things, and forget to ask God, God, what is your heart? This is where we often have difficulties with the LGBTQ debates and the abortion debates. It, it is true that many of these things that people do is sinful. But we need to continue to ask about God's heart. Does God feel that anger that we spew out? Or is God saying, let's be gracious to them, let us 
love them, and we need to seek God there because we represent our God. Moses, in a moment of weakness, struck the rock and scolded the people, telling them how disobedient, how bad they were, and how he had suffered under their hands. And God was displeased. When we minister, it is important that constantly we minister the grace of God, not the hurts within us, not the sense of anger against people's ingratitude. Many of us serve, not just pastors, children's ministry, youth workers, small group leaders, um, heads of outreach, various positions, various roles. But we need then to remember that we must reflect the nature of God. If God wants to be gracious, let us also be gracious. If God wants us to strike discipline, then let us do it with fear and trembling, but with love for the people we discipline as well. Let us not fall into the mistake of Moses in reeling in self-pity and therefore hurting God and hurting the people unnecessarily. Let's move on. People continue to do terrible things. In verse 35, they say they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served the idols, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Live human sacrifices. People in the past used to think that if they were to sacrifice precious things to them like their children, there would be prosperity. They, the land would prosper, they would have great harvests, for example. What they forgot is that their God was different. Their God took no sacrifices that were cruel, that were hateful. He only wanted people to trust in Him. You know, here's the difference between the sacrifice offered by us to God, the sacrifices offered by pagans to their gods. Both of them require payment, require sacrifice. And yet the sacrifice that we give to God often just illustrates our faith in God. We give for two, several reasons, and one of the reasons is that we give because we trust that it is God who gives to us. We give to God that which is His own. Secondly, we give out of love, out of gratitude. That's important because as we give, we do not do a quid pro quo kind of thing. I give you, you give me back. It's never that way. In many pagan sacrifices, it is, I pay you, it is an exchange, and it is a transaction. I give you so that you will give me back. None of that is necessary because God himself gave the sacrifice. Therefore, when Jesus was sacrificed for us, we don't have a cent to pay. We don't pay anything to God to gain something else from Him. We give because we're grateful to God. We give because we trust God. And out of love, we give. We do not give as a transaction that God may give us back something. It's important to realize that. But the other thing was the selfishness of the people. They gave their sons and their daughters. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters so that in their minds, the land would be fertile. They would prosper. 
We need to know then that much as our children are important to us, often we sacrifice them at the altar of our own egos, at the altar of our own prosperity. In one of the churches that I pastored, I did a lot of marriage preparation, interviews and counselling. One of the biggest struggles I had, and I knew it was a struggle because many of us faced that, was that almost every couple had already decided that they will not be a single-income family, but that they will always be a dual-income family. When I asked them, what about your children then? They said, oh, well, we, we will employ mates, our mates will take care of them. And these were people of great potential, uh, potential earnings. They could earn lots and lots of money. And therefore, it's hard for them to say, well, maybe the husband will stop work. Maybe the wife will stop work for some time. Maybe one of us will just work and we live on a single income. Both, almost every couple I spoke with was determined that to keep their lifestyle, they had to both work. And the children would be left alone to maids or to nannies or whatever else. You know, when you think about it, if your lifestyle is more important than your children, I mean, I, I would concede that sometimes families earn so little that in order to feed their children, they have to both work. And that's so necessary. And I, I really admire these people who do it. But so often it is couples who want a high lifestyle, want a big house, car, luxuries in life and they sacrifice their children for that lifestyle. We need to think about what it means to sell out our children for a lifestyle that we want. At other times then we also sell out our children by imposing our ambitions on them and that too is very wrong. God was upset because the people sacrificed their children for their own prosperity. Let us never go that way. You know, the world tells us a lot about the lifestyle, what is a successful lifestyle, what we must have to be comfortable. And in pursuing the ways of the world, we often make such sacrifices to our families. Let us keep firm to our faith in our God, who tells us that the priority is to bring our children up in the love, the fear of our God, never to neglect our children, but always to give them what God would want us to give to them, the love, the training, the care. And then it says the conclusion is that in verse 43, many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes. Verse 44, nevertheless, he looked upon the distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Sin and repentance is never a one-off thing. We sin and we sin and we sin and we sin. We repeat. You know, sometimes we get so impatient with people. How many times do I have to tell you not to do this? The reality is, all the time, believe me, I think from our own experience, we know that that you don't expect someone to change simply because we've spoken to them once, twice, three times. In fact, God said to Jesus said to Peter 40, 40 times, 70 times, seven times, or 70 times, 70 times. 
almost an infinite time. What does that say? It says that we are people who will keep on sinning. When we talk about let's cut off recidivism, let's cut off repeat of sin, we're actually saying something that puts people in a very difficult bind. Sure, we will change, but it takes that much time to change. And God saw that for his own people. They made a covenant with them that he would always be their God, they would always love them. And the verse 44 says, and then they they looked up many times he delivered them. 43, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Again and again and again the people failed. But it says, nevertheless, when they turned to him, that's our God. Our God who doesn't count the number of times you sin against him, but who has mercy when you turn genuinely in repentance. Just because you you sin again 10 minutes later doesn't mean you were not genuine in the first repentance. But when we again turn to God, you know, God is God of so many chances. There is never a point where you can say, God, when you can say, God has finally given up on me. Because each time when we sin, when we are sincere in our repentance, sincere in our confession, God forgives us. But as humans, we will sin again. And then we turn to God and God will forgive us again. I want us to remember this first of all for ourselves. That there is never a point where you feel so ashamed that you turn away from God because you, you don't think that God will ever forgive you. That never happens. He will always forgive you when you genuinely turn to Him. But the other thing we look at then is how we look at each other. Because we will see our brothers and sisters sin against us again and again. And in whichever way they apologize, sometimes they apologize, sometimes they look bad and feel bad. And you know that that's as good an apology as you can get. But then when they have turned away, and then they turn back to their sin again and again, we need to learn the forbearance of God as well. That each time they come back, we forgive them, and we embrace them, and we love them. And then they sin again, and when they come back, we embrace them and love them again. That's the way of our God, because He treasures us so much. He treasures each person so much. We can never imagine God's love for each individual. But this psalm tells us a bit about this, the continued sinfulness of people and God's mercy on them. Let's begin to understand the great mercy of our God and how God wants to be gracious to each person, no matter how much they have sinned, and that we learn to rebuke and possibly to discipline as well, but not out of frustration and anger, but out of a love for them, a grace for them. Let us pray. Father, Help us to know your heart more and more. To understand the way you are. How though pure, good you are. You will forgive your people. And you will come again and again to restore, to redeem, to help, to bless your people. Help us then to turn to you in gratitude, in love, in trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, thanks for 
listening in and um, yeah, just encourage you to continue with our church and some of our outreach programs uh, they're all found in the website offhand I've forgotten the date so I shan't attempt uh, but do look up uh, look out at the announcements and come and join us for our outreach programs well God bless you. Goodbye.